It's great to be back. Um, and no, or I, I know I was in mass today, and I was just looking at all the people that I don't know. So that was that was really interesting. But um, I would like to uh, just start off with a prayer, and then um, just kind of take you all through a, a small walk of uh, what I want to talk about tonight, and um, and then we'll end. And you can ask questions or whatever. So can you hear me if I if I speak up? Okay, and things good. Um, so let's uh, start a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. St. Paul, pray for us in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, just for your reference, um, I'm going to be using, this is my main source um, on evangelization in the modern world, Paul VI. Um, I was asked to speak on evangelization, and um, I was very excited about the topic. Uh, what I would like to talk to you tonight about is, basically, I want to take you through three steps. Um, the overall topic is that which we have seen and heard from the books, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, um, and then incarnational evangelization. And I'm going to talk to you about what that actually means. So, um, three areas. Number one, um, just a brief walk through the Apostolic Letter by Paul VI. Um, number two, some examples of the early church, um, mainly from the Acts of the Apostles. And number three, um, some practicals. Actually, how are we going to do this? What does it mean? Why is Andy Day talking about evangelization? So, number one, a brief walk through the apostolic letter entitled Evangelization in the Modern World by Paul VI. Paul VI begins this letter by stating that the objective of the Second Vatican Council was to make the church of the 20th century ever better fitted to proclaim the gospel to the people of the 20th century. He notes in his address to the College of Cardinals in 1973 that, quote, the conditions of the society in which we live oblige all of us, therefore, to revise methods, to seek by every means, to study how we can bring the Christian message to modern man. For it is only the Christian message that modern man can find the answer to his questions. End quote. And we all know there are many questions that modern man has posed. The Holy Father later goes on to claim that evangelization is one of the most important pillars of the Christian life. Stating, quote, the presentation of the gospel message is not an optional contribution of the church. It is the duty incumbent on her by the command of the Lord Jesus so that people can believe and be saved. End quote. In paragraph 70, he writes, the lay people must exercise a very special form of evangelization. The Pope urges us to engage our culture and society so that these realities will be at the service of the kingdom of God. 
as they were meant to be. He later writes of what he wrote to the de- in, the, in his declaration to the Synod Fathers in 1974 that, quote, we wish to confirm once more that the task of evangelizing all people constitutes the essential mission of the church. End quote. Further, the Pope claims that evangelization is, in fact, the grace and vocation proper to the church, her deepest identity. Those are strong words from Paul VI. Keeping with this idea that evangelization is a vocation proper to the church, meaning us, Paul VI continues in the spirit of St. Paul when he writes, when Paul writes, not that I boast of preaching the gospel, since it is a duty that has been laid on me. I should be punished if I do not preach it. From 1 Corinthians. It's right here in this text that we receive the awareness of our great call. By virtue of our baptism, as sons and daughters of an all-loving Father, we receive a task and a mission. We proclaim the gospel to all nations. It's no different now than it was at the time of Pentecost, than what we read about in the Acts of the Apostles. Peter and John claimed, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. From Acts 4.20. In 1966, the church reminded us that the whole church is missionary. And the work of evangelization is the basic duty of the people of God. It's important here to remember how the church was born. After recognizing the grace and vocation proper to the church, we realized that it was in fact out of evangelization that the church was born. Again, Paul VI reminds us of this and how Christ at the time of his ascension said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Here we come to understand that our mission comes from the very fact that Jesus himself was sent. Being sent by the Father, he hands on this vocation to us, the church, the visible body of Christ. So just as in the Old Testament, the firstborn son... Uh, was the heir to the land and the household of his father, so too we are the heirs of the vocation of the mission of evangelization, which God the Father hands on to us, his firstborn, as his adopted sons and daughters through baptism. So let's make one note here before we go on. Paul VI reminds us that the church is an evangelizer, That's what we've talked about so far. The church is an evangelizer, but she begins by being evangelized herself. That part never ends. That is to say, we grow in the knowledge and love of our Lord through the sacraments, through study, never ceasing to find that constant conversion and constant renewal in the faith. 
let's keep in mind our own search for Christ through prayer, adoration, thanksgiving. It must stem from holiness. Paul VI writes in paragraph 76, Without this mark of holiness, our word will have difficulty in touching the heart of modern man. It risks being vain and sterile. End quote. Later, the Holy Father goes on to explain that what evangelization actually is. I know when I would, uh, years ago, when I would actually hear um, the word evangelization, I would automatically think, <laughs> those Protestants. <laughs> but, let's talk about that for a moment. I would actually pose to you that, using the words of uh, Dr. Jonathan Reyes, that evangelization is not simply going out to tell others about Jesus. It is offering to someone a way of life. It is inviting people into Christ. And I believe this is the first step when we begin to change the culture. And as our college motto says, to restore all things in Christ. Paragraph 21, Paul VI says, Above all, above everything else, the gospel must be proclaimed by witness. All Christians are called to witness. And in this way, they can be real evangelizers. In living this way, in living by witness, and allowing others actually to see who you are in Jesus Christ, questions automatically arise. What inspires them? Why do they live this way? Why are they like this? And yet the Pope reminds us that there is a need for explicit proclamation. He writes that witness alone witness alone remains insufficient because even the finest witnesses will prove ineffective in the long run if not explained, justified, and what Peter called, quote, having your answer ready for people who ask you the reason for the hope that is within you, from 1 Peter. So we take our example from Christ himself, who, as the chief witness, proclaimed the news of salvation, of repentance, and yet, as we know, Christ was sent as the Word, the Logos. Identifying Jesus as real man, as witness, and as the Word of God. And Word implies a sound, a proclamation. So, that's point one. Now quickly for point two, I want to do uh, a quick uh, little exercise here. So, I, just, I have five uh, quotes, and I just want to hand them out, and uh, they're numbered one through five. I just want whoever I give it to just to read it out loud when I tell you to. All right. Okay, so point number two is early. Oh, that's. There's a bug. Point number two is <laughs> examples of the early church. 
Uh, again, taken from Acts 4.20, that which we have seen and heard. So, five examples of the early church, and I want you to help me draw this conclusion, okay? So, number one. <laughs>
the rest of your life. So, for this part, I want to study a few parts um, of the document we're covering tonight and offer a proposal. Section 4 of the Apostolic Letter, Paul 6 reviews the methods of evangelization. We mentioned earlier his comments about witness of life, and he quotes from a former address saying, quote, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if she does listen to teachers, it is because they are witnesses. I know you've seen that in your own professors. It's a great blessing to be here at Christendom College that uh, have professors who are not just teachers, but true witnesses of an authentic Christian life. It's important to start here without repeating anything that we've said already, but that we must be communicators of that authentic Christian life. So one method that the Pope mentions is proclamation to the multitudes. Christ himself did such a thing, but it seems that this call is much less used today. Most of the time, clergy and religious are often the ones to use this means. Paul VI writes that if the preaching of the gospel is to be effective, she must address her message to the heart of the multitudes, to communities of the faithful whose action can and must reach others. So here we see the need for direct preaching. Definitely an effective means of evangelization. Father Guy's popular for his one-liners, right? That's what I hear. So, as a second means, number two, the Pope reminds us of what he entitles in par uh, paragraph 46, personal contact. So, this is the means that I want to focus on for the next period here. He says that we must not forget the indispensable value of proclaiming the gospel person to person. He says that, quote, transmitting one's personal experience of faith is unique and effective, end quote. And Christ himself also used this technique with Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, the Samaritan woman, and other, other times. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, With such affection for you, we decided to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves. So dearly beloved had you become to us. <laughs> Jesus himself gives us the example in the way he practiced his ministry. He called 12, right? He called 12 to the mission with him, and he invested. He spent more time with three. One example of this is the transfiguration. Peter, James, John. Small level. He called 12, but he really, really, really worked with three very intentionally. 
Let's see how this plays out practically. All right, so now I get to use the board. All right, so let's call the one who preaches to the multitudes, like we just spoke about. The one who preaches to the multitudes is the super evangelist. Okay? And we saw how Christ used that in his ministry. A good example of the super evangelist, John Paul II, right? Incredible speaker, incredible preacher, incredible evangelist. He could preach to the to millions of people at one time, and everybody would hear it. All right, but let's call the second second guy. We'll just call him the multiplier for now. All right. So we have super evangelist and multiplier. It's an interesting name. So. The idea with the multiplier, this guy is just going to go get two. Taking the example that Christ gave us, Christ was God, so he got three. We're going to stick with two. All right? So, let's see how this, how this works out and can compare and contrast the two. So, with the multiplier, this guy's only going to be able to get two people, but he's going to actually teach the people he is working with to go find two more. So he's going to multiply exponentially. The super evangelist converts one million people a year. I bet John Paul II could have done that. Alright? Great preacher. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great thing, right? He's converting one million people a year through TV, you know, all the things that he's doing. The multiplier gets how many? Two. He's way behind. Right? That's what it seems like. So, at the end of the second year, the super evangelist has gone up to two million. Right? And the multiplier, six. Really seems like this guy's got it going, right? <clears throat> Let's skip all the way to the 19th year. Alright? Super Evangelist has reached 19 million people. 19 years. Uh, you probably can't see this, but I'm going to put it there. 19 million people. It's a lot of people. Where's the multiplier? I look at my paper for this one. 1 million. 49,574. Still pretty far behind, right? Let's get from 19th year to 24th year. Year 24, super evangelist, 24 million, right? 1 million a year. Where's this guy? Multiplier has over... 33 million. Let's pass them up. Now, there's no one better way than the other. But I would pose to you 
pay attention to this guy over here because this guy actually has a real relationship with these two people. He knows them. He's probably eating some meals with them, hanging out a little bit, throwing the football, watching Kentucky play basketball. <laughs> this guy, I doubt he knows all, all one million, and I really doubt he knows all 24 million. So, let's ask ourselves. In order to have a deep, lasting impact, we begin with ourselves and our relationship with Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, our knowledge of the faith, and we go and we invest, we share the gospel with two. Could be your two best friends. I hope so. This guy, he may know one or two. So where's the impact left? I'll leave you to answer that question. So I want to show you uh, one or two stories how I've actually seen this, this happen. Um, guy, I know the guy, who is a senior in college this year. And I met him when he was a sophomore. So we would go hang out, um, play basketball. Um, Saturdays we watched some football. Um, and as that relationship began to grow, we ate meals together and things like that. But as that relationship began to grow, I knew he was Catholic and I knew I could ask him, you know, hey, you know, what's going on? Are you praying? Like, who are you? You know, let's get into this a little bit. And I came to discover that he had a really hard time uh, in, with going to confession. He was Catholic. Um, and so I asked him, you know, hey, I'll go with you. Let's, you know, let's just go sometime. But he was, he was really scared. Really scared. And so, I, you know, nothing really came of it. Until um, later on, into into second semester, the same year, um, he had not received his confirmation. So um, he began to grow a little bit, and he asked me to be his confirmation sponsor. I said, "Yeah, sure." Uh, so we went through RCIA. He was still really struggling with confession. It was really difficult. But spring break, we went to uh, we went on a pilgrimage um, with the school. We went to Spain and France and visited um, a lot of the holy sites. And in Lourdes, we were uh, just visiting the shrine, and we knew that there was there were confessions being heard in English. And so I said, hey, here's your chance. You want to do it? So we went, and uh, we were kneeling in the chapel for a little bit, and he wasn't going to go. <laughs> he wasn't going to go. And all of a sudden, I had... I had this rosary, and I still have it. Um, it was one I had back when I went to Rome uh, with Christendom, uh, and uh, I had it when John Paul II died, and I was over there. And it was just a very special rosary, and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to let him have it and hold on to it. Maybe John Paul can kick him, because I know I'm not going to do anything. So I let him hold the rosary. He begins praying. He gets up. He goes to confession. Has it awesome awesome encounter with Christ in the sacrament. Comes back, he's ready to roll. Uh, receives his confirmation. Solid, solid kid. Um, that 
That's what this guy's doing, right? Story number two. Um, same year, I went into the cafeteria, and this guy was sitting at a table all by himself, and his hair was about as long as Jackson's. <laughs> and uh, he was just sitting there by himself, and I thought, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I guess I'm just going to go sit with him. And I, I sat down with him and just started talking. I mean, just, I didn't talk about Jesus. I mean, just nothing, just, hey, what's your name? All this good stuff. And he ends up telling me he's a Catholic studies major. And so um, I was like, oh, sweet. And we get to talking a little bit. Um, to make a long story short, he gets involved with his faith. Um, now he's a junior, I believe he's a junior. And he attends um, Bible studies that are run on his campus. He attends two Bible studies every week. He's going to start leading his own. And he's one of the best men I know on campus. It's two. Job stuff. Right. If you allow the Lord, if you allow the Lord to work through you, it's great things that can happen. Great things. So it's great to see it in action. So, I'll close. And in closing, just a few more thoughts. Paragraph 14 of Paul VI's letter states that, quote, the church exists in order to evangelize. <coughs> End quote. I'm going to read that one again. The church exists in order to evangelize. End quote. Though we may be imperfect messengers of the gospel, God has chosen us to be his hands and his feet in this world. We're able to do this because we preach not ourselves or personal ideals, but a gospel of which we are not absolute owners, but a gospel of which we are ministers to pass on with complete fidelity. From paragraph 15. We are to be men and women of conviction and action. Paragraph 72. The Pope makes mention of young people and their responsibility in evangelization. He writes, quote, Young people who are well-trained in faith and prayer must become more and more the apostles of youth. The church counts greatly on their contribution, and we manifest our full confidence in them. Speaking to you and me. So, I'll leave you with a question. Following the command of Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Even our college gives us a great vision with its motto of restoring all things in Christ. And the church asks us to consider this question. In what way Am I able to live out this vision for life?
now and for the rest of my life. Amen.